Okay, guys, so welcome to tonight's show. We are unexpectedly live with Harvey, a.k.a. Mr. Dot Colitis Stoma. Uh, you can find him on Instagram. Um, he has saved the day for my live show, as unfortunately our scheduled guest has had a serious accident and is in hospital. And we wish her all the best and hopefully has a speedy recovery and no long-term damage, and we will speak to Pops whenever she gets out of hospital and is up to come in on the show. So without further ado, guys, let's introduce Harvey. So Harvey, if you just uh, introduce yourself to guys, let them know a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get stuck into the show. Hello, so I'm a 17-year-old uh, teenager um, who has had ulcerative colitis since, he was four since I was 14. Um, I have trialled all of the medication from uh, Salifac all the way up to uh, in, um, infliximab um, and then underwent two surgeries, to one to try and save my colon uh, by diverting it and then the second one to remove it as the first one completely failed. So now I'm living with an ileostomy bag at the age of 17 and having a hundred times better quality of life and now training for an Ironman in September. So Amazing. And um, what's, so what was life like for you before diagnosis? Because you're, you know, you're exceptionally young, um, almost abnormally young for being diagnosed with a disease that's quite commonly diagnosed between 18 and 30. So what was life like for you um, prior to diagnosis? What was going through your world? Because I'm sure you were suffering quite badly from symptoms and stuff. Do you mind just uh, delving into that for me? So uh, since birth, I've always had asthma, eczema and hay fever. The the uh, terrific free as the, well, not terrific free, demon free, um, where multiple uh, autoimmune diseases come out of the immunosuppressive um, nature of those conditions and um, I've always well since about the age of 13 I started noticing um, changes in my bowel habits and then I questioned it um, and kept on questioning it and then all of a sudden I started having about a month of um, bloody stools out of completely nowhere um, and the doctor said to me um, you'll have to go for a colonoscopy and you're like oh what's a colonoscopy being 14 and not heard of any of these terms before um, and oh wow 14 yeah it's kind of um, taken off from there I had a positive diagnosis of ulcerative colitis which I was kind of glad of it wasn't Crohn's and in some ways I believe that Crohn's is more severe because it affects a, it can affect a greater uh, portion of the digestive system but mine uh, mm -hmm. affected from my anus to the uh, transverse colon so two-thirds of the colon um, mm -hmm. that's quite quite a high up yeah and um it my symptoms were fairly fairly mild in terms of the fact that they um were just bloody stools i didn't have any anemia or any other mal malabsorption side effects it was predominantly just going 20 to 30 times a day which is not nice at all but um at least there was yeah. only one side <laughs> effect um and one symptom. What were your initial thoughts whenever you started seeing that you were passing blood in the toilet? Because as a 14-year-old, like, uh, how did that strike you? Well, instant thoughts. I was in denial and always were in flare-ups. I'd have to go for at least a couple of days to for it fully to sink in that I was having another flare-up again. And then it kind of dooms on you that you have to kind of do something from there. And that's kind of the worst thing trying to work out what the best strategy is and worrying and the anxiety uh, um, associated with 
the hospital and all the bad memories that you've had already uh, with the diagnosis processes to um, having possible other treatments and having to look at the other side of long list of side effects from the drugs and all sorts. So whenever you were diagnosed, were you hospitalized or did you were you able to be outside of hospital? I wasn't hospitalized. I was just stuck on Salifac um, and it calmed down for about three months and then three months later I was stuck on steroids and that helped to calm, prednisolone that helped to calm it down but um, my flare-ups happened every six months or so so to have I had one. Oh wow that's very frequent. Yeah and then so yeah so I was hospitalized for two main ones with um, IV prednisolone and then of course at home um, and then when I was 16, so last, 2019, um, it was kind of flared four or five times in a year, but they were only, sh well, I call them short flare-ups because they only lasted for about two weeks with, because they, um, I was on acephyprin at this time and it didn't seem to calm it down. It calmed it down on the whole, but when I flared, I flared and I, it required enema um, intervention, and they they are by far the worst treatment of all the treatments you can uh, be on. Yeah, definitely. And um, so, what happened then in the last sort of year that's resulted in you requiring surgery? What was going on there, and how soon did they start to discuss surgery as a viable option with you? So last year, so 2020 started with a flare-up in January, lasted for about two weeks, uh, cleared up on itself after using enemas for about a week, um, and then didn't flare at all till spring, uh, May time, and started just seeing bloods, um, then was back on the enemas, managed to get it down in June to going once every other day bleeding um, but then I couldn't get it down any further so um, I went back to the and what was going through your mind at that point then well I was kind of just like well <laughs> is what it is is it's got better but it still could be a lot better and I don't want to make it worse by ramping up a treatment at the same time and I sort of feel guilty for leaving it longer than I probably should have done because I did leave it uh, probably two or three weeks before I did go and speak to my IBD team again and was like this isn't working mm -hmm. uh, so then they tried me on bedenticide which is a, a steroid but unfortunately due to COVID they wouldn't put me on prednisolone because it suppresses the immune system too much um, and budenzicide made things 10 times worse instead of working it um, caused bleeding which funny enough is one of their side effects which is a bit odd like why would you make a drug that's uh, <laughs> supposed to prevent it but um, hey ho and then um, yeah. the pain got so bad that in July um, end of July I went well start of August I went to hospital uh, and I was trialled on hydrocortisone steroids to try and calm it down because I just thought it was a normal flare-up just a really bad one uh, tried that for three days then had a flexi sigmoidoscope um, with gas and air and, which was horrible because uh, I, I was put uh, had a general for the last for the, my colonoscopy when I was diagnosed so not a nice experience um, and then was trialled on infliximab for three days, but that made, well, I was, my intestine was so raw and diseased at that point, it didn't make an impact at all. And because, well, infliximab is called the wonder drug, as the doctors and nurses call it, but it only has a, well, it has an 80% success rate, and 20% mm -hmm. when you're feeling ill seems more than 20%. And I was being rather pessimistic at the time. I was like, eh, surgery 
is coming closer and closer. But this was over the weekend, mm. um, and I discussed quickly with my consultant that I wanted surgery because I knew things weren't going to work. And she was like, oh, we'll talk about it on Monday. Sunday, the, I was getting so bad that we, I was signing papers um, to say that I was going to have emergency surgery if things didn't improve. And luckily, I managed to wait it out till the Monday morning where the surgeon came round, said he was going to do a subtotal colectomy at first, but then he changed his mind because of my age and um, not ticking the se severe flare-up criteria, as he called it, which is like having anemia, uh, having a megatoxic colon. But then I said, I'm having bleeding and it's causing a lot of pain. And he was just like, well, this is what I'm doing. And um, if you want another, if you want something done, this is what I'm going to do. And I was just like, well, I want something done. Might as well just take that option. So I took the option mm -hmm. and they uh, had the surgery, kind of recovered next couple of um, days in the hospital doing well for myself then developed an ileus where the uh, small intestine stops working common side effects of bowel surgery when they fiddle with it um, and then I just kept on eating and stuff the problem with the ileus is, um, is you either pass it or you don't and you have to throw it up and I threw up like two and a half litres in the space of about 20 minutes which is quite relieving but um <laughs> <laughs> did you end up with an ng tube or anything like that no i didn't have an ng tube that time um then went home was discharged on the tuesday uh the following week went home for three days the periostasis um of the gut was still intact which progressively made my condition worse uh causing a lot of pain discomfort going 20 to 30 times a day even though I didn't have a working colon it was a rather weird experience and a very painful one to mm -hmm. say the least um, waking like five or six times in the night so not comfortable at all went back in on the Friday for like regular blood checkup um, as they booked it in and the doctor who saw me first was like yeah you need to have surgery you need to get your colon out for further complications happen, um, they did the surgery on the sun that Sunday. The surgery lasted for eight, eight and a half hours because of the severity of how my colon was, and I bled a lot and all other complications. So, because I bled so much, they couldn't um, save the first stoma they made, so they had to make a second one. So I have a redundant stoma and I have a working stoma. So it was quite cool. <laughs> uh, and then went into critical care um, for three days was doing well um, got discharged for the ward for about 48 hours went back to critical care after I developed uh, a lung infection um, a rectal blowout a rectal stump blowout and uh, another ileus um uh, um and yeah and therefore I just have to be looked after one on one care because the ward team couldn't look after me um I was on 100% oxygen for about 4 days just couldn't breathe it was, it was horrible but um mm -hmm. managed to and were you still awake at this time when you were 100% oxygen, yeah, 100% oxygen. I, I watched um People come in and out in the cycle of life, as as, as you call it. Uh, a couple of people died, and have it hearing a couple of conversations that are like, uh, yeah, the real realizing being in critical care actually means life or death. You either come out of it um, walking and going back, well, not quite walking, going back to the wards and uh, recovering well, or you go to Rose Hill Cottage and yeah um so you're 17 and 
you know, from the age of 14, you've been bouncing from medication to medication. Um, you've now had some surgery and you're in critical care. Like how does how does this make you feel about your life to date? And, you know, do you feel any uh, grief or annoyance or anger towards the disease or anything like that? Um, like you've lost your teenage years because uh, it's you've had a lot happen in a very short space of time and at a very young age as well like how, what what's happened to you how do you feel about that what's your emotions um well i used to get really quite annoyed with the disease and all sorts but since having the bag and having the bag for six months now um it's kind of really it gave me a uh, well, a, a new life and more control over my life because you can do whatever you like and not have to worry about going to the toilet. And obviously that's the biggest mm -hmm. thing with bowel condition. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't say I have any anger towards the, the disease anymore because it is what it is and kind of just got to get on with it. Um, that is kind of my philosophy. You've like given a life. You might as well make the most of it and make the best possible life possible. Um, I think that's a really good um, outlook to have. Like, what? So for you then, what would be your top three things to to advise someone of your sort of age group? Like, say your your fourteen year old self or someone between the ages of fourteen and seventeen. What three things would you say have helped you the most, or would be your best top three bits of advice? Um, probably staying fit and healthy, like trying to work out as much as possible and just keeping your mind focused on one thing that's not on the disease and not on stress-related stuff and not putting too much stress on yourself. Um, and I do triathlon, so a lot of um, running and time by myself does help to uh, pass depressing and... Um, unwanted thoughts through your heads and just get your mind set on wanting to do something and achieve that one goal um also probably listening to music and just calming your nerves and making sure um as much you get rid as much of much stress as possible and that's that can be quite an easy task you can just listen to one song or whatever um but and then the other, the last thing probably would be um, having a look into surgery and making sure you're aware of surgery, even though you may be diagnosed and like just diagnosed. I know it's a, like a really scary thing, and I remember a conversation I had with my psychologist at the time after I got diagnosed, saying that um, you're a long way off surgery. But looking back, that was only two and a half years ago and in reality that's not a very long time um, so it would have been good to have that mindset to know that there is another option if all else fa fails mm -hmm. and also um, just talking to people that have the disease and making you feel comfortable about talking about it yeah yeah. Um, so whenever you mentioned you were scared, had you ever heard of having an ostomy or did you ever, like how much awareness did you have about the surgical procedures related to your disease? And you know, was that a scary prospect um, in terms of having a stoma or was it scary just the thought of the surgery? Um, the scary prospect was having something for the rest of your life and having to make that decision or having that decision made for you at the age of 17. It was mm. probably, yeah, it was probably the most scary thing. But um, I was quite thankful that that was out of my control. And that fate kind of decided what was going to happen. Because making that decision is hard enough as it is. But the awareness for stomas and stuff is very limited, I found. And before you do... A lot of research into it you can't find much information and that is one of the reasons i started a youtube channel 
to try and promote it and just make people aware of it. Because you associate stoma with bowel cancer or an old person when actually it gives a new uh, a teenager or a person in their early 20s or early 30s a new lease of life and in reality they're they're able to claw their life back with with a disease um that have been fighting for the last five or six years and my exact like me um it's it's enabled me uh post-surgery six weeks to um pass my driving test and um what's your youtube channel called Mr. Mr. Doclitis hyphen stoma. That's amazing. What sort of stuff is it you're talking about on your YouTube channel? What inflammatory bowel diseases, um, the kind of what, how what the diagnosis is, what the diagnosis processes are, my diagnosis, a bit about myself, um, and. Yeah, kind of the uh, uh, and I've done a bit of the causes of uh, inflammatory bowel disease as well because I wrote a college pro oh, a A level project on um, inflammatory bowel disease and what treatment is the best for treating inflammatory bowel disease and my conclusions oh, wow. were that um, in a severe case of disease like myself. Uh, having a flare-up every six months surgery should be uh, the most viable option as it would give someone a new lease of life but also um, making people more aware of having this having the option of surgery if they want to pursue that because obviously the medical doctors are all about treating with medicine rather than cutting you open and removing a body part when in reality cutting you open um, and removing the colon might be the best option or resecting it for a Crohn's disease um, but it all yeah it all depends on um, on that and I found that doctors well from personal experience doctors should give um, treat patients as individuals rather than um, categor categorically treat them which kind of quite a big part mm -hmm. to to their treatment okay i think i think that's a really interesting aspect as well to try and move away from what would be considered statistical treatment or leaning on the statistics and categorizing like you say to actually looking at the individual merits for doing a certain action dependent on that person's individual needs i think it's you know there's a lot of room for that out there so whenever you woke up from your surgery after finally getting it, how did you feel? Um, you know, again, a 17 year old man looking down at your abdomen and seeing an ostomy bag. Uh, what was your initial impressions and how is life now? Um, so luckily, the, well, the first time I saw it after the first operation, I, I fainted, but um, after the second one, I just saw it and was like, um, oh, it's my new bag. At least I don't have to move to go to the toilet now. I can just lay here and the nurse can empty it for me. Kind of in bed rest now and just got to rest up. Um, but <laughs> the worst thing was um, looking down at the scar and seeing how, well, when they finally took the um, uh, plaster off or the scar cover um seeing how many staples i had i had i counted them and i had about 24 and it was fascinating to to see how many staples you can fit in or they managed to fit in that like six inches of uh of scar but um yeah it was a bit overwhelming in that part just having the scar but now i've kind of embraced it and want to want to show off and say this is uh, the reason I got a scar and um, yeah just make people aware of it really yeah totally um, so for you how has life changed now has it uh, changed for the better in your opinion and and what is it specifically for you that has changed yeah it's definitely changed 
a hundred times better in my opinion because not having to go to the toilet as frequently and not having the pain and the pain is the worst thing um, and that was probably the worst thing for my organ but well, before the surgery I was in so much pain never experienced that level of pain before my flare-ups were always about a a two or a three like manageable but needed a bit of like paracetamol IV but this time I needed morphine and uh, oxycodone just to be able to treat the pain and it was just con yeah but um, since the pain's gone I can I can run 10k in 55 minutes um, bench press 60 odd kilos um, and kind of back up to where I was before the surgery um, just building myself up and not having to go to the toilet um, like five or six times a day even though I do empty my bag about three times during the day and maybe once or twice in the night just just for peace of mind really in the night to make sure it doesn't leak because that's the biggest worry of having the bag but um, that's like one worry compared to two or three or when you're in a massive flare-up and in having to go to the toilet and having that embarrassment or well, now that embarrassment I feel has kind of been lifted because I have the solution on me and I can just show someone that I have the bag and I need to go and empty my bag somewhere um, rather than having a really awkward conversation can I go and use your toilet when I can show them some proper evidence of it. Yes, uh, I guess that's another another topic as well. So, do you do you find yourself getting challenged when you use disabled toilets? Um. So I haven't been out much in the, well, because my surgery happened in August and how, the lockdown restrictions and all of this in the UK. Um. But before, when I've been into the rare occasion into a disabled toilet, you do get looked out funny, and it's just like really what are you staring at we're in 2020 at the time like just be inclusive please but um yeah how does that make you feel does it make well it kind of just makes you it made me a bit angry but then give me the drive to want to educate people um in the sense of just telling them what it is and speaking up about it which I have done a few times in school and stuff. So when I was back when I was diagnosed when I was fourteen, um, I talked about why I was off school for a month or so because of the flare-up. But I obviously couldn't go to school because of the embarrassment and all sorts. But um, I did a a talk to about eighty odd people explaining how much weight I lost, which was twenty kilos in the month with bags of pasta, which I thought was quite amusing. And then putting it into perspective into like real real life things um and then from there kind of won the um the charity supporting um yeah election so we we supported Crohn's and colitis and raised about a thousand pounds for them over two years or something like that that's really good and I tell you what actually doing the um the visual aid to your weight loss that really brings it home right? because you know it's surprising how much weight you do lose during a flare and then whenever you come into a hospital where you're that serious i mean i know that i dropped at least 20 25 kilos um between whenever i had my bowel removed and and, and getting out of that hospital i think i went in at about uh 75 80 kilograms and came out under 60 um and you know, I hadn't been that weight since I was probably about ten years old, um, and I'm not. You know, I'm not exactly a heavy weight when it comes to body weight, but that was ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting um, that you you've done done all these things, and I think it's um, an amazing effort, and it really speaks to who you are as a person. But you mentioned something there about feeling embarrassed about going to school at one point. 
I'm just wondering what what was it that was making you feel embarrassed and do you feel the same way about that now and if you were to meet someone uh, what would you advise them the embarrassment kind of came from not being at school and not having that presence of school for the the month or so and just kind of having to answer the questions well from loads of people um but but now since the surgery is kind of like I said, it's given me the drive to want to educate people and that was one of the reasons I started my YouTube channel in there is obviously there's loads of channels out there but um, teenage channels there isn't that many of and it would be nice mm -hmm. to promote and talk about every aspect of the disease whether it's uh, exercising to, to literally going to the toilet uh, and just comparing stories is another good thing and um but yeah the uh, the embarrassment is definitely gone and what would you say to someone who say you met your your or someone of the same age, same age uh, having, uh, having similar experiences, experiences. How, would how would you explain, explain to them, them that they don't need to be embarrassed, embarrassed like what, like what, what stuff, stuff what would you advise, would you advise be to that person well i would advise doing a talk and explaining to people what the condition is or visually showing them how much weight you've lost and actually giving them something uh, physical to look at and make them realise that you are really ill or have been really ill and this is how far you've come and not to so much um, get admiration from them but just to get their realisation and to put into perspective that mm. you may look well on the outside but in the inside you're really ill and bit could be hospitalized at any point yeah and i think i think that's a really good way to sort of put it um maybe trying to encourage people just to speak out and talk about the elephant in the room can sometimes make it feel less of an issue um i think sometimes when you try to hold on to stuff and allow that uh, to build inside you it makes it even more difficult to actually talk about it in the end. Um, I know from my experience, particularly uh, after I had surgery, that was one of the first things that I would do. I don't know whether that's just my personality or not. I know that before my surgery, I didn't really talk about the disease very much, but then post-surgery, it was like a, uh, a catalyst, should we say, to uh, to speak out a bit more. But it was also as well, like there was, there was an element of stigma and embarrassment that I felt about having an ostomy and in order to sort of rebuttal what i would have said people talking about me i would generally just go i've got this this is what's happening um and it made life a lot easier for me as well um i think you mentioned earlier you're on tiktok yeah right? i'm right. on tiktok as well so talk to me about tiktok what sort of stuff do you get up to on tiktok uh just posting the same things really on uh on YouTube and um, it's because TikTok's a kind of more emerging social platform um, it's more interesting to see how uneducated people are because um, I did a stoma mm -hmm. bag change video which went viral to be fair it got sev over 75,000 views um, and some of the comments were like oh he's um, got a genitalia on his stomach and uh it's like yeah that's what it is yeah definitely uh that and it's just like really people think that's on the stomach and it's it's like and then there's other people that are like oh i've got one too and the community feel about meeting someone that has a stoma but has actually talked to you or like started talking to you about it is amazing to feel like to feel that's a, that's fantastic because like, i am i'm fascinated by tiktok and it's just like it's really interesting that you stuck on a, a stoma bag change um that went you know viral uh and what's what's her other stuff do you put on there and like what is it about tiktok um for you because you're you're in the age bracket that technically it's made for although uh you know everyone should get on it it's, but it is for me like it's one of those weird things like i see a lot of dance videos and whatnot so i'm a bit sort of i'm not really a dancer 
but yeah, it's like, what sort of things do you do on there? And like, what is it about TikTok for you that is so engaging? Well, because I just started like about a month ago, same with YouTube. Um, but it's, it is, um, it's just easier to make the TikToks because they're shorter and you can add music easier and it's all done on the app rather than having to edit, spend an hour editing a video and then upload it and then yeah. wait to get views when you know there's always going to be people on TikTok 24-7. Like um, I was looking at the analytics of my channel or my TikTok channel and 50% uh, are from Australia. And that's because I posted a video at like uh, midnight and because they saw it because of the time difference, they saw it and it kind of t took off. So it is a, it's definitely a, def a different um, way of promoting it and just getting it out there and just being able to spark conversation with someone is um, a lot easier, I find. Yeah, for definite. Um, so where can people find you? Like, what's your TikTok handle? Uh, Mr. Dot Colitis. Is that even the cool thing to say? Yeah. Mr. Dot Colitis, is that it? Is that the full the full handle? Is it? Okay, that's cool. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get involved. I'm gonna have to get in there and have a look. So, um, what what is it then, Harvey? What gets you through the difficult days? Because you've had a fair few now. Um, what would you say gets you through? Probably having a supportive family and knowing that. Um, Well, well, because um, my mum has Crohn's, um, knowing that she has a bit of an idea of what ulcerative colitis is to play, even though they are two con completely different diseases, and not obviously mm -hmm. not having the experience with uh, ileostomy as I am like the first one in my family uh, to have one, but just having that. Um, that loving care sense kind of and just being able to um, talk to her about poo basically yes. well it's, it is nice to have that thing in common um, you know because it can be a very difficult conversation to have so the fact that you know you know your mum's kind of going through the same thing that's got to be a real positive and yeah having those supporting relationships around are, are really important because um, it can be a very difficult and lonely place um, particularly when you're you know, being faced with surgery at the age of 17 um, I don't know whether you would agree if you did you do you ever feel like you are cut off from your age group because of the things you're going through do you feel that you um, are able to have a social life obviously COVID aside and all the, all the stuff that is really affecting social life right now um, for you as a teenager how, how has this disease affected your teenage life I wouldn't say it's affected it that much to be fair. I've had I have quite supportive mates and uh being open about the disease the disease has paid off. Um and pro obviously promoting on my YouTube and showing people what I'm going through has had a massive positive impact. Um and kind of just spark yeah, and it has just sparked other conversations and making uh, people that you predominantly don't think uh, check in on you, check in on you sometimes more um, and kind of doing the same to the, them as well so yeah it hasn't it has, the disease hasn't affected it at all really and in the recent times of course that's really cool because I think was that, I'm like as a parent um, your kids are always a major concern so I think I'm sure your mum, whenever you first got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, had some serious worries about how much impact this would have on things like school, being able to maintain friendships, sports and stuff. So the fact that you're, you know, out there doing triathlons. Did you do triathlons? When did you get into triathlons? So I got into triathlons when I was about 13. So about a year, a year or so before my diagnosis. And then, yeah, kind of just carried on doing them since really haven't done any for about a year and a half now due to covid and uh gcse's and stuff 
but obviously got the Ironman plans mm -hmm. and kind of wanting to do um, a full triathlon before the Ironman if possible but I do have a duathlon uh, planned for about Easter I think so that will be a good experience to get back racing yeah that'd be amazing how, so how did you come about settling in this uh, Ironman like it's where, where did that idea come from? Uh, I'm not really sure. I think it was one of the... Uh, one of the morphine thoughts and it kind of stuck from me from there. I kind of hallucinated uh, doing Hawaii um, Iron Man and wanting to do that. And then um, talking to our friends that have, that have done an Iron Man and then wanting to do one too. And kind of making... A deal with mum and making sure that she would do it with me and so as we did a marathon uh last summer or oh, at 28 miles um in the in july in the blazing sun it was hot it was rather hot um but yeah since then it kind of sparks the um interest to do ultra well ultra stuff and try and push my body to the limit really I think it's really cool. And um, have you been? What's your sort of time? Is it is it a year, two years till you look to do it? Look to compete for it? No. So I'm doing it in September. So this year. So I've got uh, six months. Oh wow! Where are you doing it? Are you doing? It in, is it Tempe? Is it you're doing or? No, no. Uh, doing it in Italy. Oh oh! I'm out. Wow! Amazing. Well, if you can get there, that that will be a, a fantastic uh, cherry of an Ironman. I can't. I couldn't think of any. Where, whereabouts in Italy are you doing it? Uh, Romanga, so the Mediterranean coast, north east, I think. Okay. Is, do you know? If, do you know if the route's going to be flat or hilly? Yeah, it's it's all flat. So that was one of the reasons we picked it. It's um. Fair one. Yeah. So it's like a sea swim in a cove, and then um. And then a bike, rolling hills or. It's fairly fairly flat, and then a run out and back um, down the coastline, really. So it'll be rather, well, I say rather easy. It, it won't be rather easy. It'll be uh, tremendously hard, or a tremendously hard day. Hoping to complete it in around uh, under eighteen hours. Um, but yeah. With with that coming in, if you what sort of things have you joined to get sort of information? There's a there's a group I'm in called Ostomy Lifestyle Athletes on Facebook. I'm just wondering, is there any groups like that that maybe you've joined on Facebook or um, are part of follow on Instagram and things like that that might help other people? I haven't to be fair, but um, mainly because I just want to get some training under my belt and um, see where I'm at and and because of my as being in hospital for such a long time and having a severe case of dehydration from my flare-up i developed kidney stones um so i was gonna have an operation in january but that got cancelled so i was gonna wait till after then to try and get uh, ready for the ironman and start promoting it from there but obviously it was cancelled mm -hmm. and um just waiting for the date to have the opportunity. If you're interested, there um, on Ostomy and Lifestyle Athletes, there are there's a number of triathletes on there, um, and I can certainly put you in touch with Michelle Wilcox, who's a GB um, triathlete, world champion, and then there's Fran Brown as well, who's also a um, a Team GB um, world champion. Yeah, that would uh, be. They're they're both on the group anyway. If you were to join that group. Um, and I'm sure they would be both more than happy to talk to you um, as they're both ostomates as well. So they're doing it with an ostomy. Uh, Fran's got other disabilities um, due to a spinal injury. So, so she'd, she'd be able to actually move about, about different bits and bobs and bobs. She's, she's had, had to, to learn. But, uh, but uh, yeah, Michelle, yeah, Michelle as well. Fantastic. fantastic. Um, athlete. Um, athlete. And there's loads of them on there, to be honest with you. Sometimes it can seem a little bit better than like, World Team TV. TV. Um, um, but, there but there are hundreds, hundreds of, of everyday, everyday athletes, athletes that are, that are 
dropping drop all, all the wisdom, wisdom on that group, that group. Yeah, all, yeah, over, all the over the place. Um, and, um, and the majority, the majority of people, people I used to have in Osmiag and but the majority of people in the group still have active ostomies and or regularly trying ways, ways of doing, doing things. things. And, and, you know, there's, and, you know, there's, no, there's, no, there's no there's no broad, broad science, science base. base. It is, it is um, you, know, you know, anecdotal, anecdotal or pro-science um, a, a, a lot of the time. Of time. Um, in, yeah, terms in terms of, of like, well, like, well, I just strapped this, this on, or, or I tried this, this and it worked, and, and I've been doing it now for the last six months, and I've been doing it with that kind of advice occasionally, but the likes of Michelle and that, they will give some science advice, I'll give some sort of medical based Exercise, exercise advice, advice things, things like, that. like that but but yeah, yeah there, there, are, there are other groups, groups out there, there and, and you know from, from your, your perspective, perspective how important is social media, media um for in your eyes the ibd community, community. do you think, think it's an important thing or do you think it is maybe damaging i don't know, I don't what's, know. what's your thoughts on social media for the ibd community in your eyes yeah i believe it is very helpful at some times but then it can get rather um, overwhelming with all the potential horror stories you can read and how quickly someone can go from having a working colon to um, having a stoma bag or other complications um, and yeah that on that part that was that is rather scary and being a teenager I haven't really been so much involved in it um, for the past couple of years but since I've got my stoma bag I have wanted to join more more groups and that's probably due to my age and just wanting to spread the words and help other people yeah I think it, well, I think that's a really positive outlook on on that I, I got like my own music social media that it can like you said be a double-edged uh, weapon or a double-edged sword in terms of like you can get a lot of negativity like you've experienced some negativity on TikTok but out of all of that negativity, you've experienced a significant amount of positive um, and interacting with other people, um, finding out that you're actually helping other people. You know, all those things are really, really important. And um, just like literally how we even got on to tonight to have you on the show and chat about uh, your condition and your journey is wouldn't have happened without the powers of social media. And there's lots, you know, there's lots of things. Instagram for one. Um, is quite popular within the IBD community and I think it allows you to see firsthand almost people's own journeys and people's struggles with the disease for better or for worse um, but also as well it's like I think having that understanding and I'm not sure how you feel about this but having the understanding that you're if you think about social media like an iceberg you're only seeing the top one third you're not seeing the bottom two thirds or to put it the way my uh, wife would say is like you're judging someone else's outside by your insides. So you know how you feel and what things are going on inside your life. And then you're projecting that on someone's external, which is what they're showing on social media and comparing the two. And that's something as long as you're aware that that can happen, I think you can use that to help understand social media a little bit better or a little bit easier and not be so consumed by people having it better or easier um what, what are your thoughts you would you agree with that or would that have i gone off in a wild time no i would agree with that completely um like you say it can be it can be used in two ways like most things um can be used for the better and can be used for the worst and when it works like you said tonight uh, and bringing people together like me and you um it is like bringing uh, you two people next door to each other rather than uh, two people around from around the UK and um, it's amazing how you can connect with a range of people um, just like that rather than having to like uh, just go off what uh, the people around you say and getting another person's perspective on it is very very helpful in that aspect. No, that's amazing. No, that's amazing. Um, um, what would you have got, got a random, got a random, random top, top five, five that just popped, just into, popped my into my head? <laughs> so what would be your top five positive, positive things, things that have, that come, have come out, out of having IBD for, for you? Probably the sense of community and I think I said it when I was about 14. Um, being part of the 
kind of club or cult um, and just feeling like there's other people that are in the exact same position as you are um, and second one knowing that everyone's um, potentially having a degree uh, of a bad day and there's better days to come um, third probably point um, being able to overcome challenges um, and have that positive mindset and positive outlook on things um, fourth, fourth probably point um, having relationships with different people um, and just being able to build a relationship whether it's through IBD or becoming closer to your family about it um, and topmost point seeing um, well mine is seeing the medical side of things as it sparked my interest in, into going into paramedical science and wanting to work for the NHS um, yeah and that was predominantly well it sparked when I was back when I was 14 and kind of carried it since but it's been set in stone since August and wanting to kind of give back to the NHS because I do feel slightly guilty of all the resources and drugs that were used on me <laughs> weirdly but um what do you think's triggered that feeling then what do you think's triggered you to feel guilty about having used the nhs probably the long the 10 day long stay in critical care and uh realizing how expensive it actually is to be in hospital which is quite scary because one of my nurses did say you are well, I asked them, I was like, how much is the bed? And they were like, uh, it's about 10 grand. Because it's a special air mattress bed to stop, um, uh, like, sore patches of the body and sweat patches and all sorts. And just keep the uh, keep your body um, in a different position and all sorts. And then, yeah, and just all the cool machines that are kind of in, in the um, hospital that were used on me, kind of just... It's like, oh, the resource has been used used on me. Why can't it be used on someone else? That's maybe more ill than me and on death row rather than... Well, I didn't really count myself on death row when maybe I could have done, but... What was the coolest machine that they used? Probably the ERG machine. Watching your heart rate go, um, go up and down and <laughs> hearing all the weird noises at like 2am 2, 2 was was cool for the first like three nights and then got a bit annoying after that because it would be consistently if your heart rate dropped. Totally. Uh, yeah, I could definitely compare with that. Um, whenever they have to come around and do your, your observations as well, I think that's a, a real bummer because it's just like, always just seems to be just as you're just getting off the sleep, doesn't it? It's like, oh, we're just, we're just gonna... Yeah, stick your arm out. Uh, just need to take your blood pressure, please. Then they always had the uh, squeaky wheel um, blood pressure machines for me. Um, and it was yeah. just like, oh, 2 a.m. in the morning, really? Going to wake me up for the next like half an hour? I literally just got to sleep because someone next to me stopped screaming. Oh, great, thanks. And uh, just so out of curiosity, how many other teenagers were in the ward with you? None, I don't think. Yeah. What was what was the closest age person? What was the, what was the person who was the closest to your age? Yeah, I think there was about a twenty nine year old. So, twelve years difference. Oh, so it's not terrible. No, not terrible. But that's still uh, <laughs> the rest. A lot. Well, the rest of them were about sixty, seventy plus, and yeah, yeah. And, but luckily, I was on a gastro ward, so um, they were all for similar mm. conditions. And the guy next to me had a failed J pouch, so he he was with an ileostomy and was awaiting um, his J pouch to be taken out. 
which kind of sparked my view on not wanting to get a J pouch, but obviously still oh, okay. sort of wanting to explore that option because I I would like to cross. Well, what are your thoughts at the minute? My bag is probably the best option and I wouldn't mind sticking with it and making it permanent and getting Barbie butt surgery, mm -hmm. uh, as they call it. But, um, and that's mainly because I've had one blockage in the six months of from being at home, but that was potentially caused by the COVID vaccine. So can't really, I don't really count that as a proper va uh, blockage. Um, and yeah, other than having a few stables needing taken out of my stoma, it's been absolutely fine and wonderful. It's, yeah, it's so much better. And yeah, and just being able to um, go out for like two hours without needing the toilet is the biggest, biggest thing. Um, and my worry with the J-pouch is just having the bad memories come back and being associated with going to the toilet. I don't really want to experience that again. I kind of written that off and would just want to get on with using my bag. I think that's a fair observation. Like, you know, when you do get put back together, so you'd have to have a loop ileostomy, which can be quite tricky to manage. Um, a lot of people experience a lot of blockages and leaks when they have a loop ileostomy during the, the pouch creation process. Um, and yeah, you do, you have to relearn a lot of going, going to the bathroom skills and drills um, uh, whenever you do get um, hooked back up. And uh, I can definitely vouch that there's never a solid poo whenever you have a J pouch, because it's just, all it is is exactly the same virtually that comes out of your stoma, but it comes out of your, your rectum. Um, but yeah, like I, I can see that the, the side to or both sides of that argument, and I think you know it's it's a fair one to have. And you know if you're comfortable with an ostomy, there's no reason why you shouldn't retain that. And and you know you, you obviously are aware that you can live a full and productive life with a stoma, um, and possibly you know maybe even a more contented one than you would with a J pouch. Uh, what would you so? You've, we've talked a lot of there about about surgery and your experience in hospital, well, in particular in in this uh, pandemic as well. But what would you uh, say to someone who's maybe on the fringes of surgery, based on your experience? Um, they were concerned about surgery and concerned about going to hospital at, at seventeen. What would you say to that person? I would probably say try and find someone that's had the surgery and make them. But make you feel like you're being reassured by them, which happened to me. I had uh, a friend that, uh, luckily, I spoke to, who had uh, who has a colostomy, and kind of said that the pain disappears right after surgery, which it does or did for me for <laughs> for about a week, and then obviously it returned. But um, definitely, yeah, definitely talk to talk to someone that has had the experience of the surgery and compare it to the possibility of having the pain-free life which was the biggest thing for me um, but also uh, weigh up the other options if there are any other options like trialing different biologics which which I didn't do but I wanted the surgery kind of there and then and wanted a radical thing done no i think that's fair would you say what would you say uh, should they be afraid of it no definitely not um they should be open-minded about it and have a positive outlook on it really what would you say to someone who felt that this was an old person's disease and that they they shouldn't have a stoma that's thing for all people well i'd show them myself and show them that uh i live with stoma it's perfectly fine uh perfectly livable you can do whatever you like really pretty much eat whatever you like it is well it sort of eradicates some of the foods that you couldn't eat before um in my case dairy i couldn't really eat that much dairy i eat a fair amount of dairy just trying to put put back on a bit of weight and um but yeah um kind of tell them 
that it's not an old person's disease and they need to open their eyes to people speaking out about it because there is more people speaking younger people speaking out about it and they just need to yeah kind of listen and observe i mean i think that's great um tell me this have you been have you had to eat a lot of the um what are they called it's like a probiotic yogurt that um helps you put weight back on yeah i had um they were like um i couldn't have the yogurt ones because they tasted too much like false milk so i had i changed to the like fruit based ones forty juice um the common different variations um and yeah they taste because they're so calorie dense because they're like 300 cows in um about 500 mils it's like yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's ridiculous uh, but you do feel rather nauseous after a couple of having a couple of having them but you know they do benefit and since going since losing 30 odd kilos and putting about 17 back on it does work and just sticking at it is is key but they are disgusting to say the least i always thought it was crazy like i i used to like the, the strawberry one was the only one that i could i could um consume but even at that it was kind of like you're drinking it was like a lead lead weight just hitting your stomach like boom. and like oh wow I am, I am full but yeah like it's 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 in crazy world that you know you can consume that and lit literally like you know in a matter of weeks you can put on so much weight just by consuming these crazy medicalized foods well that brings me to the part of the show um that i call the three truths we talked about it earlier i'm not sure whether you've been able to uh, to prime yourself uh, but essentially, it's the um, the end of the world as you know it. You're no longer going to exist within it for whatever reason. And uh, everything you've ever created, so your YouTube channel, TikTok's gone, no more Stoma videos going viral. Um, it's all disappeared. And uh, you get to leave three truths. I kind, of, I kind of view them as life lessons for the world to learn from. What would your three truths be? First one, and probably most important one, probably uh set up a campaign saying uh end the taboo on to on poo and get people talking about their bowel ha habits more because it, it does save lives um second one probably normalizing uh stoma and making sure that people know that it's not a an old person's thing and young people can have them um and third one making sure um there's enough support in hospital for patients psychological support i'm talking um on especially on the weekends so then they can have a chat about their worries and feelings um and anything they're kind of concerned about just to get their off their mind because i really found that um Hospital kind of dies on the weekends. Um, there's weekend staff. They're stretched a lot more, and you have no one to no HCA to kind of be like, oh yeah, can we just have a a quick two minute chat while you're like changing changing my bag or doing my bed or something. It would have just been nice to have maybe a group of volunteers, and it is something I'm going to look into. Um, trying to get a support group for hospitals um with ibd people and other just people that want to just help out and be a be a pair of ears to people that are going through tough times i think i think they're great so talk about poo normalize stoma and be more charitable or or three very admirable sort of life lessons i've kind of i've pulled out of that um i'd like to take a minute mate just to appreciate yourself you know um, for coming on such short notice uh, for showing um such bravery as a young man um 17 years of age and putting yourself out there to talk about uh, what is arguably a taboo topic um which will hopefully help other people of all the ages, but more importantly for young teenagers out there 
that might be struggling with the disease. And yeah, I, I just can't help but say thank you so much for that and coming on. It's, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure too. Pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming on. It's been fantastic to sit and actually chat with you um, for the last hour. Um, I think you're a great guy. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, your YouTube channel take off and watch you grow in in that space, spreading a bit more sort of joy to the world and education into the IBD um, way of life and how it can be a positive more than it is a negative and that there's there's always a way forward it's it's really great so thank you so much for coming on thank you okay guys that's uh that's it for tonight's show and we will catch you on the next one so bye for now mm -hmm.